0: And I'm really glad to be with you. And uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 2. We're going to continue our series in Hebrews. We've been working our way uh, through the book of Hebrews for the summer, and this is a uh, if you are new to the scriptures or maybe uh, the Old Testament seems really strange to you, Hebrews is a great place to land to kind of figure out what's going on in the Old Testament and, and, and what Jesus was up to uh, from all of eternity. But also, uh, it's a very relevant book for us, uh, for God's people, for all times and places because, well, it's the Bible, but also um, it's about a people that are persecuted, about a people that are pushed to the fringes, about a people that don't have a voice. And what does it look like to keep on going when things get hard? How do we, how do we keep on keep Keep moving forward. And, and this is a, a people that are living under extreme pressure and stress and persecution and suffering. Uh, and, and yet God keeps encouraging them through this letter to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, uh, the author, the perfecter of their faith, the, the one who is better and superior and, and, and more worthy than anything uh, that, that, that the world could throw at them or or, or even rituals or sacrificial systems of the law or anything, uh, that this Jesus is, is better. And so I, I hope as we walk through this Uh, together, you'll find some encouragement uh, and whatever you're walking in today, whatever you're struggling with today, um, because I know we all come in uh, because we're human and we all come in with different needs and and wants and hurts and pains. And so hopefully Hebrews will be a great comfort to you. Uh, So let's pick up Hebrews chapter two, uh, starting in verse five, Hebrews two, verse five, there should be a Bible around you if you need that as well. And it'll be on the screen. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And this is the word of God for us uh, this morning. And so as we've been kind of walking through this, this letter, what's interesting about Hebrews, it's not a typical letter is because it's a lot of scholars think that it's it's kind of a mini sermons, uh, many kind of encouragements, exhortations to God's people because it doesn't have the typical kind of opening that a letter, uh, would have. Like if you read Paul or you read, uh, John, it's, it's a typical letter. This is a Paul from, you know, this is a letter from the apostle Paul to the saints, blah, blah, blah. And then the ending, you know, kind of this conclusion. It doesn't really talk that way. Um, And so a lot of scholars say it's this kind of unique, uh, kind of exhortative, if you will, letter of sermons, kind of encouraging God's people as they are suffering, as they are being pushed to the margins. And as we've kind of walked through this book, what we noticed right away was uh, how it began was the summary of really what the letter is about. So those first few verses, uh, we noticed long ago, at many times, in many ways, God has spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us By his son. And and that kind of sets the the summary, the feel, the essence, the purpose, the the vision behind uh, the the letter is that this God, Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh and now God speaks ultimately through him. Uh, that, That all the scriptures ultimately are about Jesus. That they're all pointing to him. that From creation all the way to revelation, from the sacrificial system to the laws, uh, pointing, pulsating, this Messiah is coming. He's coming to redeem and restore what was lost. He's he's going to come and live and die and be resurrected from uh, the dead. And so it's a great summary to really understand that now the voice that we ultimately listen to is Jesus Christ. Not that the prophets didn't have a place in the Old Testament. Uh, Messengers of God, mouthpieces of God, but now the ultimate mouthpiece, the ultimate messenger is Jesus Christ. Now, when we dig into Hebrews, it can get a little wild because of our modern sensibilities, a lot of uh, Jewish kind of references and, and sacrifices and, and laws and covenants and all these, these kinds of things. But, but the reality is, as I've kind of studied this more and more, and as I sit with it more and more, what I begin to realize is how relevant this book really is. Because everybody's looking for a messenger, Right? Everybody's looking for someone to speak on their behalf. Everybody's trying to make sense of you know, this world. And so all the messages, all the things that are being thrown at, at us, who, who do we listen to? Who has the last say? And time and time again, Hebrews is going to say, look to Jesus. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. Listen to his voice. <laughs> he doesn't lie. He, he's done everything that we couldn't do uh, for our, ourselves. And then, and then last week we, we looked at a little bit of, of this challenge also as we kind of look at this Jesus who's superior to the angels and superior to prophets and, and superior to the law, all these things. All of a sudden the, the letter kind of pauses and kind of says, but I want to warn you, I want to encourage you that we all can drift from this salvation that we have. That, that if we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the the, uh, the the temptation to drift away, the temptation to look to other messengers, to to look to other ways of salvation, to look to to things that aren't of God. The, the temptation's great. We need to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. So, so be be warned of that. And we're going to see four other warnings as we go through uh, the letter. But now we get to this verses five and 18. And it's fascinating because of the way in which the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus. In the two main ways in this text, he describes him as a founder of faith, you could call him a pioneer, if you will, and a brother. Like that just seems like it comes out of nowhere. I, I don't know how many of you talk about God as being our brother. But, but you have good reason to, that, that Jesus is described here as a brother. So, so we're going to look at just for a moment here uh, this morning is we have this people who are struggling. They're pushed to the fringes. How do we keep on going? And the way in which the writer's going to encourage them to keep on going is I want you to look at this Jesus who is the founder of our faith, but also our brother. And what does that have anything to do with my life and your life and the world? Um, but it's extremely helpful and extremely, uh, uh, I think, relevant and practical for their day, but also ours as well. So let's look at that for a, a few few moments together. So Jesus, our founder, pioneer of faith, if you will, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I, I picked that up from verse 10. So it says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering we, we see that also in hebrews chapter 12 the the founder and perfecter of our faith the author of our faith the originator of our faith and you could even use that word pioneer i know we you know maybe don't use use pioneer all that that often but think of the pioneers it's someone who goes first it's someone who goes when everyone else is behind someone who takes that first step it's someone who, who is the author, the originator, the one who, who finds the thing, right? When you think of a founder of a company there, you know, we think of these noble people, these, these crazy entrepreneurs, and they step out and they, they start something. Well, it's simply just them going first. And so the writer of Hebrews is actually describing Jesus as this. He's actually the one who goes before us. He's the one that does what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so what does all that that mean? Well, let's pick it up in verse 5. It says, Now it it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man, is quoting Psalm 8, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him the glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And so what, the, what we're getting hints of is the author's trying to say is, okay, how is the world being ruled right now? Did you catch that in verse 5? Verse it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. So so earlier remember we had this argument about Jesus being superior to the angels, these mediators that even brought the law to Moses, but so so there's some kind of angel worship going on in the church. We're not sh- exactly sure what's going on. But, but but he's saying this world to come, this this new heavens and new earth that one day you and I will experience with full resurrected bodies, no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow. This world to come, how is this Jesus ruling? Aren't the angels supposed to be ruling? What is their role? And he says, well, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. And then he goes into Psalm. This is where it gets really interesting. There's kind of a double meaning here. So in Psalm 8, if you're familiar with the, the scriptures... Psalm 8 is about us. It's about humans having this, this worth and value uh, before God. Why don't you turn there real quick? We'll just look at a, a couple of verses. But in Psalm 8, we'll just pick it up in verse 3. David's just gushing over the creation. He's saying, When I look to the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So, uh, so, uh, Megan and Jerry Smith went to uh, the Grand Canyon on a vacation. I'm just going to call them out right now. And I'm really upset because uh, Jerry was going to take a picture of himself flexing his muscles in front of the Grand Canyon uh, because you know that's one of my favorite illustrations, that nobody stands in front of the, front of the Grand Canyon and flexes their muscles and says, hey, you like that? Look at this, right? Nobody does that, right? That's what David's doing. He, he's looking at the heavens and he's looking at the earth and he's looking at, at, at the stars and the sky and sunsets and, and, and shooting stars and he's saying... Why in the world would you give a rip about us little insignificant humans? Why would you take the time to make us? Why would you sustain the world so that we could even enjoy this same creation? Why do you care for us? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So so God, why would you make this vast, beautiful world and then crown us with glory? Like that's a picture of nobility and honor that humans made in his image, have been given the task to oversee the fish and the birds, to have dominion over creation, to make stuff for the glory of God. Now, why would God entrust that to humans who we know, if you're like me or, or all of you, and that we just make a mess of everything? But see, that's the goodness of God. We were made in his image. Yes, the fall came in Genesis 3, but the vision for Genesis 1 and 2 was to go and rule and have dominion under my lordship, under my uh, loving, kind rule, to go and build bridges for the glory of God and raise kids for the glory of God and make art and music for the glory of God. The creation is still good. Yes, it's marred by sin, but people are still made in the image of God and made with this impulse to, to rule and reign over what God has entrusted to us. So, so God puts this high premium on humans. He says, I, I've crowned them with glory and honor. That they're even superior to the angels. And, and I know we live in this, I know I'm going to get in trouble, but I know we, we live in this culture where, where it seems like we're moving in this weird day where like, humans and dogs and cats are like equal. Which it shouldn't be. I mean, at least a cat should even be like further down uh, to the dregs of Satan. Uh, yes, thank you. Amen. I know I can't. Um, I can preach on Jesus, I bring up cats, and everyone gets excited, but but he says, my my crown jewel, my honor and glory has been given to humans, because cats don't have a soul, just so you know, and neither do dogs. Uh, I think they're in the new heavens and new earth. I think scripture makes that, that clear. But he's given us minds and, and hearts and, and reason and rationale to make things, to build things, to love people, right? We, we're these unique things made in the image of God to reflect the likeness of God, to reflect the mercy and grace and love of God. There's no other thing under, under the heaven that's made like them. And he says, I, I've crowned you. Now, it's hard for us to, to kind of fathom what this relationship is supposed to, uh, to look like uh, between us and God and creation and overseeing this. And he's given us this, all this uh, authority to, to make things and, and build things and, and, and take care of God's creation. I love what Dallas Willard, a, a Christian uh, theologian and uh, philosopher, says. He says, The human job description, the creation covenant, we might call it, found in chapter 1 of Genesis indicates that God assigned to us collectively the rule over all living things on earth, animal, and plant. We are responsible before God for life on the earth. However, unlikely it may seem from our current viewpoint, God equipped us for this task by framing our nature to function in a conscious personal relationship of interactive responsibility with Him. We are meant to exercise our rule only in union with God as He acts with us. He intended to be our constant companion of co-worker in the creative enterprise of life on earth. That is what His love for us means in practical terms. So, So, The only way this thing works is if we're united, connected to God, right? Because left to our own devices, well, we just have human history to look at to go, yeah, it doesn't go very well. (laughs) That that you, sinful humanity's been given the responsibility to oversee life and earth and people and all these things, and yet if we're not connected to our creator and our maker and our redeemer, it just goes bad often. And and that's why this text is very interesting. There's kind of this double meaning because if we go back to Hebrews chapter 2, The psalm's talking about humanity, but the writer's using Psalm 8 to talk about Jesus. Did you catch it? Now in putting, in end of verse 8, putting in everything, the subjection under his feet, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, Jesus, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Did you catch it? So, we're the prize, we're crowned with glory and honor to, to oversee the animals and the plants. But he's saying, for a time, God Himself became that crowned jewel. He became what good news that is. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.